Parshas Tazriya Mitzora. We begin with the Taharas Mitzora, the purification process for the one who had been committed by the Kohen to the state of leprosy. It had been a sad and unfortunate period in his life. He had to remain outside of his city. He was forbidden from living anymore in the Are Choma, the established residences of the Am Yisroel. And even though his family had lived in a house in that city for generations, he now had to bid farewell to them. It was a heartbreaking scene to watch as this man made his way past the city walls out to the desolate fields. And it is there that he would stay alone and secluded for weeks and maybe even months. And then suddenly, after some time has passed, the unexpected happens. The whiteness on his skin begins to recede. The tzaras becomes smaller and dimmer. Could it be? He hopes. Is it really going away? And so he sends a message to the Kohen, asking him to come out and to take a look at the tzaras. And the Kohen goes out to where the Mitzorah is secluded. And there, the Kohen inspects the infected skin. And he sees that it's healed. My friend, the Kohen declares to him, I have good news for you. I'm happy to tell you that the Saras is healed. And you are now ready to return to society. Ooh, it's a Tichyas Amesim. A Mitzoyra is Choshev Kemes. It's as if he had died, Nidorin. And now he can and will be restored to normal life again. And yet, the disappearance of the Saras is not enough. Before he will be made tahor again, he must undergo a special procedure, a tahara, a tahara process. Now, there are many parts to this procedure, and all of them are important. But right now, we'll skip all the way to the end, to the bottom line, which is the greatest lesson for us. If there is time later, we'll come back to some of the other lessons we can learn from the details of the Taras Hametzoyda. What was this man required to do? He must bring two healthy birds to the Kohen who takes both birds from him and then shechs one of them over a clay pot. The other bird is kept on the side and at the end of the Tahara's process, v'shilach etzatzipur, hachaya al p'neasade, the living bird is set free upon the open field. And after watching the bird fly away to freedom, the Mitzorah then goes to the mikvah to purify himself and his clothing, at which point he is allowed to return to the city and resume his life once again. Now, this, of course, is included in what we call chukim, statutes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, for which no reason is offered in the Torah. And yet we are justified if we follow the example of the great men of all generations in seeking to understand some of the reasons for the chukim. Never will we understand it thoroughly. Yet we see that even Tanaim and Amoraim ask such questions. Why did the Torah say to do this or to do that? And they give reasons. And therefore we walk in their footsteps and will try to also, with our small minds, to understand something of what was taking place here. The Mitzorah was in a trap from which he thought he might never escape. Tzaras, especially in those days, was often a fatal malady. And so, he was living outside the city in sorrow, not knowing if he would ever be healed. He sat there in the sorrow of his sickness, doomed to a life of misery, set apart 
from all of society, never to mingle with people again. Maybe he had found some hut, a dilapidated structure where he could spend his days. But whatever it was, he was sitting all alone in the fields, outside of the city limits in mourning, mourning for have to leave society and separate from normal living. And then suddenly the news from the coin came like a bolt of lightning. You're a free man now. You've escaped disaster. And it was the great escape of the Mitzorah that was symbolized by the two birds that had been trapped. Because after one of the birds is slaughtered, the second bird, which had been caught in that same trap, is set loose and flies to freedom. You know, when an animal is caught in a trap and then it breaks free and escapes, the claws of death, it's a big simcha for the animal. But it's nowhere near as spectacular as when a bird breaks free from its trap. A bird that escapes is a symbol of a perfect freedom. Because the bird flies up in the air, out of the reach of people. Now, that bird is really free. We were saved like a bird from a trap. We were caught. And now we escaped from that snare to freedom, to Hillim. And so as the Masora watched the bird flying away, he's reminded of the trap that he himself had barely escaped. And he recalls the one bird that didn't make it. The slaughtered bird that represented all of those who did not get well. Not everyone got well. And the healed Mitzorah reminds himself what he escaped from. And that's his happiness. Baruch Hashem, I was set free. He's thinking that as he watches the bird fly away. And the truth is, that's how everyone should think. Although this procedure is specifically commanded for the Mitzorah, we shouldn't overlook the intrinsic lesson that applies to us too. How great should be our gratitude when we are healed from our illness. Anyone who is sick and then recovered should say the same thing. I'm like a bird that escaped from a trap. You remember how you had a virus and you were lying in bed for days. You felt like you might never get better. And then finally you escaped. It's a tremendous happiness. Anytime you escape, You should remember that forever. So here's a man, let's say, who tries to use the bathroom one morning and he discovers that he can't. He tried, but nothing happened. But he has to. Now, that's not a comfortable feeling at all. It's like finding saras on your skin. You can't fool around with such a thing. So he calls out to his wife, something is wrong, emergency. I have an emergency here. So they take a taxi or an ambulance, whatever it is, and they rush to the hospital. And the nurses and the doctors are rushing back and forth to different patients holding all types of instruments. And each time he sees such tools, he's panicked. But he's suffering terribly and he's thinking, From which tool is going to come my salvation? And then finally they take a rubber pipe and smear it with Vaseline and they force it in. Ay, ay, ay. It hurts like the Dickens. Oh, did it hurt. You can imagine the pleasure of such a thing. They're screwing in that rubber pipe and it comes up with blood as they force it in. He's screaming, but then finally, blessed relief. He's able to urinate through that pipe. The Yeshua came. He's restored to normalcy. And the doctors tell him that it was a temporary blockage. And now he can go home. You should know that this man just received a big gift. 
And it's not only the gift of being able, able to function normally. That's important, of course. But the true gift is the opportunity to recognize how good Hashem was to him before, when he was normal. That entire experience was 100% waste, unless he understands from now on what a great stroke of fortune it is every time he's able to use the bathroom normally. You know, those tubes in the body are coated with a sticky layer, and some of the tubes are very, very thin. And the fact that the two sides don't stick together is a miracle. Only that it happened in this case, the two sides of the tube stuck together, and therefore he wasn't able to urinate. Why doesn't it happen all the time? It's a miracle. Fifty years of relieving himself and this man had never thought about such a thing. He never knew how lucky he was until he made this great escape. And therefore, he should understand that this one incident was intended by HaKadosh Baruch Hu to teach him from now on that he should be full of happiness whenever he can function normally. An entirely new dimension has been added to his life because from now on, every time he relieves himself painlessly, he's so happy. Now, his usher Yatsar is not just a bracha anymore. It's a song of gratitude, a hallel. So he's full of elation, so full of real joy that his bracha is a song. Ga'al techayai, Hashem, you redeemed my life. Eicha, you saved me. Now, if he would tell that to someone who never had this experience of escaping disaster, they would laugh at him. Ha ha, you're so silly, that's fun. That's happiness. Happiness means traveling someplace. Spending money to go to a bowling alley or to a restaurant, that's happiness. But going to the bathroom, B'Shalom, is happiness. But you can't fool this man anymore with your Lutzanas. Because he already learned what true happiness is. He himself was caught in the trap. And he remembers the bird that didn't escape. The bird that was slaughtered. Some people don't go home. Sometimes the doctor comes in and tells him, I'm sorry, Mr. So-and-so, but we have to keep you here for more testing. There seems to be a growth, and we have to do a biopsy. And then it begins. Doctors and specialists and tests and hospitals. And that was the great benefit of being a Mitzoyda. He had gone through the school of hard knocks, and now he was an educated man. How happy a person should be who doesn't know anything wrong about his body. That's what he learned. Health, that's wealth. I remember I once went to a Russian shoe repairman. He said to me like this, As mitz gesund is men reich. I learned a piece of Toyota from this shoe repairman. If you're healthy, then you're wealthy. But it wasn't only health that the Mitzorah learned to appreciate. He received an education about appreciating normal living. The healed Mitzorah has now learned that life in its most simple form, merely living among other B'Shalom, being able to interact normally with others, is the biggest Tainuk. The Mitzorah was all alone. Al-Safam Yate. He had to cover his mouth with a garment wherever he went. He had his garment pulled up and wrapped around his mouth. The sign of a man who was cut off from society. Forbidden from interacting with mankind. And when someone would come close to him. Tame, tame yikra. He was obligated to cry out. Tame, tame. Warning people to keep afar away from him. People looked from a distance and shunned him. 
They didn't want to come near him because he might make them Tameh. You couldn't even be under the same roof together with him. So let's say there was a shelter out in the countryside and some people were there under the shelter waiting for the rain to stop. He couldn't go under that shelter with them. They'd run away. And now, Baruch Hashem, he can be with people again. It's all over. But the lessons he learned are forever. The Mitzorah gained a tremendous benefit from his experience that he couldn't get otherwise because when he was well, he didn't appreciate what a blessing it was. He never thought about how much fun it was to be able to live normally. It was worth the experience. All the trouble was a small price to pay for the very great achievement of gaining an attitude of gratitude to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for normal living. Everything is normal again. Normal it's so much fun! It's so good to be back again, accepted by society, together with his family. He has company. He has friends. He's back at work. How good it is to walk the streets of the city Bishalom without people running away from me. He thinks, how good it is to be able to live normally among people, to be able to go to work. He learned now how to be grateful just for that alone. He's not wearing a covering over his mouth and nobody runs away when he comes close. He belongs with everybody else. He's accepted back into society again. I can go to shul again. It's fun to be able to walk into shul. It's fun to dive in with a minion. And now all of his life he sings in happiness just because he recalls those dark days of despair. He's full of joy that he is the bird that escaped. As he walks in the street, he sings to Hashem to be able to walk the streets of your city. That's the happiness of life. You remember when David was hiding from Shaul in the caves? He was afraid for his life and he was praying to Hashem to be rescued. How I wish I could walk again before Hashem in the lands of the living. Tehillim. Oh, Ribbonu Shalaylam, cried David. Please bring me back into the city of Yerushalayim and let me once again walk. Ba'artsus. Hachayim. What is the art of Hachayim? This land of the living that David was so praying for so much. So the Gemara in Masech Yuma tells us, Zemekom Shivakim. It's the place where there are markets. And Rashi explains that David was talking about the streets where there are stores that you could buy everything that you need. Now that seems to be a little bit queer. David is hiding in a cave, deprived of everything. And he's praying to be restored to a place of markets. He's yearning once more to go shopping. You have to understand what that means. The answer is that David understood what a, what a tremendous simcha it is to have everything available to you. To know that whatever you need, you can go out to the street and buy it. Hashem, please let me walk down the avenue again. That's what David was looking forward to. Just to be able to walk the streets of Yerushalayim where the wares were on sale, the produce, the grapes, the dates, the olives, the figs, the wheat, the barley, the clothing, and all the things that make life a pleasure. You can buy food and toilet paper and soap. You can buy a shirt and underwear. Whatever you need. You pass by a store, a meat shop. There's a whole variety of cuts of meat. The kind of cut, that kind of cut, this organ, that organ, everything is available. It's a big simcha. 
it's a big subject to learn how to enjoy walking in the streets, how to enjoy the stores and the markets, and the Tzoyda, learn that sugya the hard way. And now he appreciates the stores when he is restored to the streets again. Thank you, Hashem, for letting me walk again, where everything I need is available to me. Now, in order to put some more understanding into the, into the lessons that the Metzoyda was expected to learn, it pays for us to study the details of the Tahara process. Like we said earlier, we're expected to ask, why did the Toyota say to do this? So we look into the Pesukim and we see that besides for the two birds that were taken, the Metzoyah had to bring other things to the Kohen as well. He must find the branch of a cedar tree, those tall imposing trees, as well as some esov, a tiny little moss plant that grows out of the walls of the house. And then he takes a piece of thread that is dyed with a deep red color and he uses that thread to tie together the cedar branch and the little moss plant. And then the coin takes the bird that was left to live together with the bundle of the cedar wood and the moss and he dips them into the pot containing the blood of the slaughtered bird and he sprinkles seven times on this man who is becoming purified of his saras. Now this Mitsura wasn't expected to ignore what was happening or to imagine that it was merely some purification ritual. What's this all about? The coin is sprinkling blood on him with a bundle of cedar and moss tied together with a red thread? What lesson is the Metzorah? And we who study the Parsha supposed to learn from these details his Tahara process. So the first thing we do is to look into the Tanakh and see where we might find some kind of meaning for these two things, the cedar tree and the hyssop, especially when they come together. And if we look, we will find. Sefer Malachim tells us that Shlomo HaMelech was a king who made it his job to be a teacher to the Am Yisrael. He spoke to the people about the trees, from the cedar trees in the, in the Lebanon, to the hyssop that grows on the wall. Ah, we found something. Shlomo is speaking about the eight edits, the tall, beautiful cedar trees, and the azov, the small hyssop plant that grows out of the cracks in the wall. Now, why did Shlomo choose to speak only about these two things? The answer is that he didn't. Ad. He spoke about those towering trees, Ad. All the way down to the moss growing on the walls. He started with the cedar trees, but he spoke about all the trees. About apple trees and fig trees and date trees and olive trees. And he didn't speak Bikitzer. No. He spoke Ba'arichas. He spoke about their fruits and about the leaves. He spoke about the wonderful arrangement of the branches. Stand underneath the tree, he said, and look up. Not one branch is directly beneath the branch above it. Every branch is underneath an open space because the branch wants sunshine. How did that happen? Who told the tree to do that? And the tree drops seeds into the ground. And from that seed comes out another tree. That's such a nice that all the scientists together cannot explain where did this tree come from? If you dig down, will you find a forest? All you'll find is dirt. How do, cedar, how do cedar trees and apple trees come from dirt? It all comes from a little seed. Every seed has in it at least a million bits of information inscribed on its DNA molecule, telling it how to produce a tree. And that tiny seed contains all of the major machinery to make sure that it happens. It's a very complex operation with chokhmah, with tachbulus, 
with tricks, with scheming, cooperation and arrangement, one step after another. It's Nisei Nisim! Anybody who sees that comes to recognize HaKadosh Baruch Hu, just as if he was present at the Kriyas Yamsuf. No less than at any other miracle that the Torah talks about. You can see in the trees wherever you look. Now that's exactly what the Matsura didn't see when he used to walk the streets. He walked down the avenue and he never noticed the trees. He was too busy shooting off his mouth, lush and horror. Devarim Batalim, Litsonas. That's how this whole mess began. The Gemara Narichin says someone who speaks wrong words, he used his mouth in the wrong way. He'll be stricken by leprosy. Now, how does such a thing happen that a man should run off his mouth without thinking? The answer is, he's not aware of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Hashem is in the shul, maybe, during Mincha. And even then, he's only in the Siddur. But on the street, he doesn't think about Hashem at all. He walks with his friends and wags his tongue. He ridicules and belittles people. Even just to talk Devarim Betelim means that you're not aware of Hashem. Shlomo HaMelech tells us in Kohelas, Al tivahel al picha. Don't be in a hurry to express yourself. Vilibecha al yimahel lehotzi davar lifnei alokim. Your heart, your mind, shouldn't be in a hurry to say something in the presence of Hashem. When you're walking on the avenue, Hashem is present. So keep quiet. Ki alokim b'shamayim v'ata al aretz. Hashem is in the heavens, and you're down below on the earth. Al kain yu devarecha. Ma'atim. And therefore, your words should be few. Oh, now something else comes into the picture. Elohim is now in the picture. You're not on the street alone or with your friends. Elohim is in Shamayim above you. And he's looking at you. That's why your words must be few. If a man opens his mouth and words flow out without restraint, so it means he doesn't feel like he's in anybody's presence. Let's say you were standing in the presence of the mayor or in front of the president of the United States. He's not, he's not such an important person today, but still you wouldn't talk too much in his presence. You definitely wouldn't be shooting off your mouth. But when a person recognizes that Hashem is right in front of him, so he keeps his mouth closed. When you possess a sensory perception of the closeness of Hashem, when it's not merely words and theories, so you don't open your mouth in his presence, you keep quiet, at least as quiet as you would be in front of the president. At least that. If the president of the United States was standing here, you'd be careful with every word that comes out of your mouth. That means you believe in the president more than you believe in Hashem. And that brings us back to the eighth. Erez ve'ezov. And to everything in between. Because the best way, the surest way to become aware of Hashem all the time is by means of His creations. When you see His trees, His plants, His everything. So there's no bigger proof that Hashem exists. You see clearly with your eyes. There's a Hashem. So you'll tell me, who needs proofs? I'm a from Jew. No. It's not proofs. It's tangible awareness. We want to see Hashem in action. We want to see demonstrations of His greatness and His kindliness because that's going to make us aware of Hashem in the most tangible way. But this man didn't know how to walk the streets and see the demonstrations of Hashem around him. And therefore he is told, no more walking the streets for the man who doesn't know how to walk in the streets. 
It's like the people who walk down Ocean Parkway and don't notice the variety of trees. They can't tell you the difference between the linden trees and the cottonwood trees that line the walkway. There are two different kinds of trees altogether, each one with its own nisenisim. You never notice that? How could you pass by a tree and not pay attention to such a thing? That's the only reason Hashem made it. For you to notice. People call me on the telephone and ask me if they should travel to Niagara Falls to see the Niflai Saboide. To travel 10 hours to see Niagara Falls? When you finish with the Niflai Saboide on Ocean Parkway, then call me up again and we could talk about Niagara Falls. Meanwhile, you didn't even start. That's what the Mitzorah was supposed to be thinking when he was searching through the forest outside the city for a branch of the cedar tree. Chaimel, you fool, he says to himself. Why didn't you keep your eyes open and see these trees before you got sick? Why didn't you see Yad Hashem by means of a different kind of tree that he planted for you to see? And so, when the Mitzorah finally returned to normal living, he knew how to walk the streets. As he walked to the Koilelo to work, he looks at the different leaves and pays attention to what Hashem was showing him. Sometimes he sees an ordinary leaf, so he picks it up and he studies the Chochmas Hashem. Look at the fact that every leaf of the millions of leaves on Ocean Parkway, every leaf has two sides, a dark green side where there's a lot of chlorophyll, and the light green side, where there's not so much chlorophyll. And in every case, the light green side is turned away from the sun, and the dark green side faces the sun. Millions and millions of leaves! How did an accident like that happen? Because chlorophyll needs the sun. That's why the dark green side faces the sun. So it's an exhibition of HaKadosh Baruch Hu right here on Ocean Parkway. Other times he sees a different kind of leaf, a seed leaf. It's an airplane that carries three or four passengers, the seeds, in the middle of the leaf. The seed leaf falls down from the tree early in the season, and it's carried by the wind. It carries its passengers out of the shade of the parent tree, and it falls where it can grow more successfully, where it won't have to compete with the parent tree for the nutrients. A different day, he'll see the seeds of a sycamore tree, and instead of ignoring it, he'll pick up... One, and see how the balls are composed of hundreds of little seeds. And each seed had a wing attached to to the end. So it would blow in the wind and blow everywhere and scatter everywhere and plant some more and more and more and more and more and more and more trees. Now, isn't that a remarkable accident? That a seed should have wings on it. And although the wing is a fluffy thing, it's packed so efficiently that the wings don't take up any space in the sycamore bowl. On the outside, you see only the dots of the seeds. It's a wonderful arrangement. The seeds are on the outside and inside are the parachutes. And when it fell on the ground and gets crushed, the winds begin blowing. And the seeds fly far, far away and plant many, many new sycamore trees. That's how Shlomo HaMelech looked at the world. He saw the Yad Hashem everywhere. He looked in because of that. He always felt that he was standing in front of Hashem. Mina aretz asher In the tall imposing tree. Down and down. V'ad ha'ezov asher bakir. Until finally he reached the Moas. He saw Hashem. He gave a shur klali about the Moas. What does Moas come from? How did the Moors get there? On the side of a wall? 
The answer is that then when the moss begins to germinate, it gives out spores into the air, tiny spores. You don't see it, but the spores fly in the air and the wind carries the spores and it lodges into a crack in the wall, a crack so small that you could even put your fingernail into it. And still the spores get in there and take root. And finally, this little spore produces an ezov plant sticking out of the wall. And so when the Mitzorah was scraping off that piece of moss from the side of an old wall for his tahara, he was rebuking himself. Chaimel! It's not enough to see Hashem in the trees. Why didn't you notice this moss when you weren't a Mitzorah? And he kept understanding that because he kept his eye closed to the Neflois Haboyde around him, to the opportunities for awareness of Hashem. So now he must search out the trees and the plants in other more painful ways. And the Mitzorah now understands all of this when he was well again. Now, when he's back in the city again, when he sees grass peeking its way out from between a crack in the sidewalk, he'll pay attention to these things and he'll be reminded of Hashem all the time. When he passes the neighbor's gardens, he'll stop to look at the flowers. Of course he will. He doesn't want to learn the lesson again the other way. He reminds himself of the Pasuk in Malachim. And Shlomo Amelah spoke about the trees, about the cedar trees in the Levanon, all the way down to the hyssop that grows on the wall. And he says, I'm going to do that. Now, these words will have little effect unless you practice living them. In order that the words should make an impression, when you walk out of here, you should make it your business to learn how to walk the streets. Even if you live in the city, in Flatbush, in Borough Park, if you keep your eyes open, you'll see all types of trees and flowers, all types of phenomena that are intended to remind you about HaKadosh Baruch And that brings us to the next part of the Mitzorah's Tahar's process. V'taval otam bedam hatzipor hashchuta. And he dipped the red wool into the blood of the slaughtered bird. You see right away that the Torah here is stressing the color red. The red dyed wool dipped into the red blood. What is this? What are we supposed to understand over here? And the answer is like this. It symbolizes two kinds of redness. One is natural dye and the other is blood. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying that you have a choice to make. Are you going to notice me by means of the colorful world that I am giving to you? Or Chas V'Shalom by means of another more painful red? HaKadosh Baruch Hu created in the Bria a way of producing a beautiful red dye. Other colors too. And you can take a plain piece of wool and give it a beautiful color. And Hashem wants you to notice that color. He wants you to appreciate the colored world that he made for you. And that's why you dip the scarlet red wool into a different type of red, into blood. It's a different type of redness. It's a pity to use such redness. But what could you do already? Hashem says, if you don't use the first method, then you're going to have to use the other one, the blood, to remind you to appreciate the color in life that I am giving to you. You know, there was a big riot last year in Attica. It's one of the prisons in upstate New York. The murderers revolted. Look, nobody came to Attica because he was a traffic violator. The people there are murderers. So these hoodlums came together and they killed a couple of guards and made a big revolution. They broke windows and smashed gates and set fire to the building. And so the state sets up a commission to inquire, what are the demands of these murderers? 
The hoodlums have demands. They're not satisfied. So finally, a special commission came. A special board of inquiry. A committee of wise men sat down together but covered Roish. And they concluded that the felons are right. And so the state listens to them. And they respectfully promise these demonstrators that they'll give serious attention to their demands. Why were the prisoners so upset? Because they only had ordinary TV. Black and white TV. Other things they wanted too. But on the list of demands was color TV. Black and white TV is an inui, an affliction, they said. Such cruelty they won't stand for. And the liberals in New York, in the New York Times, raise a howl. You have to be compassionate to these murderers. How can you deprive human beings of color television? And they got what they wanted. Colored TV for the murderers. But who gives us color TV all the time. And it's kosher TV. Wherever you look, it's all color. And it's a great happiness to look around and see the variety of sights and colors. Seeing color is a pleasure. Imagine for a moment as you look around, as you walk through this world that everything was black and white, no color. It's still good. It's still a pleasure to see. It's better than not seeing it all, Khalila. And we wouldn't break windows and smash gates because of that. But life wouldn't be the same. We can see in color. And that adds a zest to our lie. I look in your face right now and I see a little red in your cheeks. I see the color of your shirt, the color of your eyes. It's a pleasure to see things in color. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants you to pay attention to the red roses that you pass on the street. Not only the red. When you see the green grass, that's also a color that you should pay attention to. Green grass is beautiful. First of all, it's a carpet. That's how you should look at the grass. As a beautiful green carpet. You know how beautiful the color green is? It's a pleasure. It's such a sweet color. It's soft on the eyes. And that's why Hashem chose it for the grass and the leaves that are in abundance. And then you notice a dandelion, a bright yellow dandelion, sticking up from the grass. Where did the yellow come from? And what's it for? So you'll say that it's meant to attract the bumblebee. The bee should alight on that yellow dandelion and start sucking out the nectar. But more important is to attract your attention, to delight the eyes of people, and to make our minds full of wisdom, full of awareness of Hashem. That's the most important purpose of the yellow dandelion. Only that the Mitzorah didn't notice that. He didn't see the green grasses and the yellow dandelions. He walked past colorful gardens and never thought once about a colored bottle. He saw the blue sky and the green grass and the yellow sunlight and he kept on walking like a kasil hoylech bechoshech, like a fool walking in a black and white world. And so Hashem sent him away. No more walking in the street for you if you don't know how to think. And when he finally did teshuva, and his saras was healed, so he had to dip in the beautiful red wool into the red blood to remind him of the choice that he has. Don't forget to pay attention to all of the beautiful dyes, all the wonderful colors that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is painting for you in this world. And if you don't, if you ignore it all, then you have to be reminded in other, more painful ways with the blood of the shechted bird. The bird that doesn't escape. And so, when the Mitzorah comes back again, this time his eyes are wide open. Why should he be worse than the bums in Attica who love color? And so, when he walks past the fruit stand, he remembers the lessons of the choice. The red dye 
or the red blood. And so he stops. What's doing here? Red apples? How did they become red? Red is a dye. Where does the red dye come from? Why is it that when it's unripe, it's green, and then when it's ripened, it turns a beautiful red color? You must say that the apple understands that green apples are to be hiding in the trees among the leaves. They're not ready to be eaten yet. And when they ripen, when they're sweet and ready to eat, then they turn red. A red apple is conspicuous. It's easy to spot. That's why the traffic lights are red, because red is conspicuous. It says, stop, stop and look at me. The apple in the fruit stand is calling out to you, stop and look at me. Stop and admire the handiwork of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Not only red apples, there are big bins of fruit. Ah, fruits! Red fruits, golden fruits, purple fruits, green fruits, yellow fruits. Take a look inside and you'll see a cut watermelon with deep red flesh. Such beautiful colors. Where did they come from? How did it happen? Take your time. Walk slowly by and look at the orange. See how beautiful it is. It looks almost as if it were natural. Such beautiful colors just couldn't be natural. The answer is, they're not natural. They're made by a manufacturer with a capital M who made it his business to put into the fruit beautiful tints that are delectable to the imagination. It's more fun eating a fruit that has color. You know that, don't you? Suppose oranges were the color of potatoes. It wouldn't be so much fun, even if they tasted the same. And when the healed Mitzorah finally finishes his Avaitis Hashem in front of the fruit store, he can't stay there all day after all. The owner would expect him to come in and buy something. But he's not done yet. Now he's walking past the garden. Let me tell you something. I enjoy the gardens of my neighbors more than the neighbors do. They pay a lot of good money to the gardener, but I'm the one enjoying their gardens the most. I was passing by a little garden a few weeks ago and I saw white tomatoes. Now a white tomato is not supposed to be white, but then one day I saw that they turned green. Then later they turned red. Now why three colors? The answer is white tomatoes means keep away. They're not fit at all for eating. Green tomatoes means it's already a stage that you can pick them and pickle them. And red tomatoes are ready to be eaten. I was thinking, this is such a simple idea. I've thought about this many times, and I said it in the lectures so many times already. So I said to myself, should I repeat it in public again? Absolutely. I don't care what the public thinks. They're tired of hearing it. I'm not tired of hearing it. What I'm saying is for my own benefit. I'll let you listen too, but I'm talking for myself. Why should there be red tomatoes? Red is an artificial color that Hashem brings out of the brown dirt. Try to make red by yourself. Take earth and mix it around. Try. Try to make the color red. You can't do it. But a color bottle who puts into the seeds the machinery that they should be capable of taking carbon dioxide and other materials and transforming them into the color red. It's a miracle. And the red pigment only comes when the tomato is ripe to eat and not before. So the tomato is actually doing more than feeding you with nourishment. It's feeding your mind with awareness of the body. Why should it turn red? On the contrary, 
Why shouldn't it be red when it's entirely unfit to eat? And then when it's ripe, it should lose its color entirely. Why shouldn't apples be colorless when they're ripe? As soon as the apples grow on a tree, they should turn bright red. And after they become sweet and soft, they should turn colorless. Why should bananas turn yellow only when they're completely ripe? They should be yellow at the beginning, only when they're ripe. They should turn green. So you see that there's a plan and purpose here. To let you know, come, my child, we're ready for you. You can come now and pluck us off the tree and enjoy yourself. And once we train ourselves to appreciate the colorful world that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is giving us, so we'll see that there's no end. We walk down Ocean Parkway in the morning and the sun is coming up and we see golden sunlight filling the world. Ah, what a beautiful pleasure. And when you look up, and we see the beautiful blue sky. There's no harm in saying, Thank you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I love you for putting such a beautiful color into this world. The gold-orange glory of sunrise and sunset. The magic of the moonlight. So many beautiful things to see. Now that's the right attitude. Once you get that attitude, then you're looking at the universe in the true perspective. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is painting a blue sky for you to enjoy and to be reminded of Him. Always. Suppose you walk out tomorrow morning and the sky is overcast with gray clouds. Ooh, that's a different opportunity. He who covers the skies with clouds. Because he's preparing rain for the earth. Now what does that mean? Who cares what he prepares? The fact that he prepares rain is important. Let the rain come down first. Then we'll thank him. Halavai, we should thank him even then. No. The Pasuk is telling us that he's preparing rain because we're supposed to notice that. Tomorrow morning, if you walk out and there are gray skies overhead, you have to love that beautiful color. And when the rain comes down, that gray is going to turn into red raspberries and blueberries and green grapes and purple grapes and golden oranges and red cherries and red-cheeked peaches and everything else. The gray clouds means that soon watermelons will be coming down. The only difference is that you don't have to dodge them. They come down in drops. It's a big benefit. Had watermelons come down from the clouds, it would be very unsafe. And so, if we'll see the sky is covered with heavy gray clouds, we should understand that this is Hamechin. He is preparing La'aretz Matar, rain for the earth, so that we could enjoy all the beautiful colors in the world. And so we come back now to the Mitzora Bayom Taharas So. The leper on the day of his purification as he prepares to return to normal living once again. But this time, he will be prepared. He knows what's expected of him now. He's healthy again. Baruch Hashem. He watches the one bird fly to freedom and he decides right then, I will never stop thanking Hashem for saving me, for helping me escape the trap of sickness. Every day, I'll thank Hashem for my health. And, it, and he means it. He was so worried and finally they gave him the good news that he recovered and he should never forget now. All his life he should remember the great happiness of being healthy. But it's not only health and being able to live normally, it's what you do with that. And so the Mitzvah is commanded to bring forth the eight edits and the Azov as a reminder of what went wrong. Hashem is saying to him, you have a choice. You have two ways of recognizing me. One is the way of Shlomo HaMelech, the way of Mina Aretz. 
Asher Balevanon, Vada Azov, Asher Yoitse Bakid. Had you spent your life studying these things and everything in between, you wouldn't have needed Saras to begin with. You could have spent your days enjoying my creations and appreciating the Chesed Hashem in the Bria. If you'll choose the dye of scarlet, if you'll enjoy the beautiful color of life that I surround you with, then you won't have to bother with dipping the red wool into the blood of the slaughtered bird. That's the choice that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives. He says to the Messorah, Choose! And he says to all of us, Choose the healthy bird that escapes the trap or the opposite Khalilah. What do you want? The dipping of the eight Eretz and the Ezov into the blood Khalilah? Or do you prefer the eight Eretz and the Ezov of Shlomo HaMelech? It's a choice and it's all up to you. But one or the other you must have, because otherwise you can't live in this world. You can't be part of us if you're forgetting what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is doing for us and for you. But if you'll see on all sides the kindness of Hashem, if wherever you walk, wherever you go, you see Hashem, then you don't need anything else to remind you. And that's the purpose of life, to learn to recognize the kindness of Hashem. Tov! Do you know what is the good, says David HaMelech? Not merely good, but the best good in the world. What's the best good in the world? Ask somebody that question. Go ahead and ask, and you'll get all different types of answers. It's good to be a Lamban, one will say. Or it's good to be a Midak Deik B'mitzvah. Everything is good. And of course, you have to do all the things. But David HaMelech said, Do you know what is the best tov in the world? Tov lehodos l'ashem. The greatest good in the world is lehodos l'ashem. To give thanks to Hashem. That's our function in this world. To utilize our health and all of the normal living to become aware of Hashem by means of thanking Him. To use all of the colorful bria that Hashem made from the tall cedar trees all the way down to the lowly moss plant for the great purpose for which they were created. And that purpose is tov lahodos, to thank Hashem. Lahagid baboker chazdecha. And to speak always, all the days of our lives about his kindliness and to thereby become more and more aware of him. Have a wonderful Shabbos.